It's Behind the Bots Time! From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. And I'm Lindsay. And today on the podcast, our interview with Emulsifier Captain Matt Borez. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate all of your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. First up, catch live robot combat this weekend in Seattle and Norwalk, Connecticut. In Seattle, they're fighting a dozen ant weights at Seattle Academy Middle School this Saturday. This is the first event ever for the Academy's Robotics Club, so show up to show support for what will hopefully become a new regular event in the Northwest. However, the big event this weekend is undoubtedly NHRL's November Qualifier, which kicks off Saturday morning in Norwalk, Connecticut. 143 robots will fight to the death for the 12 remaining invitations to the 2022 NHRL World Championship. A number of top-ranked BattleBots captains are still searching for their invitation, notably Ribot Captain David Jin and his Beetleweight Polywog, Shredder Bro Captain Evan Arias, Banshee Captain David Small and his 12-pounder Son of Krim, and, coincidentally, today's guest, Emulsifier Captain Matt Forrest. If you make it out live, tickets are $10 for general admission and $75 for the VIP experience. We'll kick off the YouTube live stream at 10 a.m. Eastern with the four of us calling fights all day long. So drop into the YouTube live chat and say hi. Or if you'd like, kick in $5 to try to get Luke to thumb wrestle on uh, on the internets. <laughs> yeah, those $5, they go straight into Austin McCord's pockets. Uh, poor use of funds, I would say, you know, uh, <laughs> buy a lottery ticket instead. And finally, we want to wish Malice Captain Bunny Sariel a speedy recovery after she suffered a concussion at BattleBots. Bunny was riding a scooter at BattleBots when she fell off, hit her forehead on the pavement, and had to be taken to the hospital by an ambulance. She later appeared at filming and walked out with her team wearing bandages on her forehead. Bunny, we're glad you're okay, and we wish you the best in your recovery. And that's it for this week's news. After the break, our interview with Matt. This week on the podcast, we have a very special first-time guest, Emulsifier Captain Matt Boris. Emulsifier started out as a brutally effective 30-pounder that has terrorized its opponents on the East Coast, taking home the most destructive award at Motorama 2020. Emulsifier has competed twice at NHRL, taking home a Golden Dumpster in September 2021 and a second-place finish in the 2021 World Championship. Matt packaged up his fight footage and took it to BattleBots, where he was invited to compete on BattleBots 7. Fans are really looking forward to seeing Emulsifier's performance on BattleBots, given Matt's experience in the sport, the bot's build quality, and its fight record. We're looking forward to getting into all things Emulsifier in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks, Luke. Glad to be here. I am so happy that you're here. Um, Emulsifier is one of the most terrifying robots that I've ever seen at NHRL. Um, Like the first time that you are sitting cage side and you hear that death hum, it is just electrifying. It is incredible. 
Um, the robot is fast. It hits hard. And um, I am so excited and stoked that you were selected to compete on BattleBots this season. I cannot wait for our fans to see your fights uh, when the show returns to the Discovery Channel in January. So, um, yeah, this is really great. Um, I would love to start by getting an introduction to you. Uh, you live in Ohio. That's basically all that I know. Uh, can you tell us more about yourself? Yeah. So I basically lived here my whole life. Um, I grew up here in Columbus and basically went to school here in Columbus my whole entire life. Went to Ohio State. Um, graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering. Um, I would say that BattleBots actually kind of pushed me into engineering watching it back in middle school and high school. Uh, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever watching these robots on TV, destroy each other. And, you know, I would get on my computer and spend countless nights, you know, watching these videos and trying to figure out how to build one of these things and learn quite a bit about engineering before I even stepped foot into college. And that's probably what steered me into engineering, to be honest. So uh, yeah, here I am with uh engineering degree and that was over 20 years ago. So, you know, um, also, you know, Adam Wrigley, he's part of our team as well. He's, he's in New York and a lot of people know that, you know, we're good friends and we're on the same team. He captain shatter and I captain emulsifier, but a lot of people don't know that we met, uh, probably almost 20 years ago online playing computer game called robot arena some diehard robot nice. fans probably know what that game is so there was robot arena robot arena 2 and i think there were some others after that but adam and i had met online fighting in these robot arena tournaments um and eventually after talking enough uh, i had built a couple robots of my own and one of them adam and i drove out to RoboGames in 2008. It was a 120-pound shell spinner called Bliss, and we fought it there, and that's when we first met each other. And uh, we've been good friends ever since. So that's kind of my background, a little bit of the team's history's background. So uh, I would love to hear more about this trip out to Motorama. So you built Bliss in Ohio, and what, like... Adam drove from the East Coast to Ohio and you guys got into this cross-country road trip the first time you'd ever physically hung out. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, we had talked online for years before that, but this was actually the first time we met. I had built this shell spinner. I think I was first or second year in college at the time. And I built this shell spinner and Adam was living in, I believe it was New Jersey at the time. And we took a road trip. He drove all the way from Jersey to Ohio and picked me up in his Honda Element. We loaded the robot in there. We covered the whole thing in blue painter's tape, rode on it, made it <laughs> really noticeable. We had a whole checklist of states we were driving through written on the side of the vehicle. Uh, we had honk if you're going to Robo Games on there. And then once from Ohio, we drove all the way to San Francisco to Robo Games to compete with this uh, shell spinner and um, it, it put on quite a show. It didn't win a ton of matches, but it was very destructive, <laughs> which is kind of my style with these robots. <laughs> so, 
Um, I like the disruption. That's awesome. So we met a lot of what? What year was that? That was '08, I believe. And we met a lot wow. of the. We met a lot of builders for the first time. A lot of the Minotaur team, uh, Daniel Freitas, Marco. Uh, we met Bunny for the first time back then. We were all pretty young back then. So there's an old picture floating around, I think, on the Bots FC Facebook page of us uh, in San Francisco on the uh, Fisherman's Wharf there. And uh, yeah, we're all wearing pretty out of style clothing. <laughs> um, that is, that's so cool. It's kind of a big throwback. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Cause I mean, like when I think of, um, robo games that kind of during BattleBots' dark years, it is so cool to look at old photos and realize that the biggest names in combat robotics today were just kids back then, you know? college yeah, high school yeah. kids um traveling cross country to go and fight and if battlebots was still on i'm sure that you would have fought as a college student you know um but that you know you met all these people back then and today when you turn on battlebots it is mostly dominated by people who kept the sport alive during the dark dark years which is really really cool um for sure I, I had a feeling when I saw Emulsifier for the first time, I, I admittedly saw it fight for the first time at Motorama 2020. And when I saw it enter the box there, I was like, this is definitely not a first time build. This is a really sophisticated robot. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it makes sense that uh, you had been fighting and building for a decade before that. That, that totally, totally makes sense. I am skipping ahead a little bit, but I do want to... Uh, learn a little bit more about Emulsifier or somebody who hasn't seen it before. A, first, go see it. Go to YouTube. Search for it. It's great. But um, can you describe Emulsifier to somebody who hasn't uh, who hasn't seen it yet? Yeah, so Emulsifier is what we would call a vertical spinner. It sports a pretty large uh, vertical disc, single-tooth disc. And one of the unique things about it is it's not wheeled like most robots. Um, you see a lot of two and four wheel drive verts. This one actually rides on treads or tracks or whatever you want to call it. So, um, and the, on the front, there's a big titanium plow or wedge. And, you know, there's different attachments we can put on depending on who we're fighting. But generally, it's it's got this kind of tanky look to it. You know, it's got this big giant disc on it. It's got this wide tread base. Um, it's pretty maneuverable for a big vert and, um, it, it drives well, it maneuvers well, it can self-write itself. Um, so it's just an all around solid design that's been refined over the years. We've got a really basic question here from monsoon captain, Tom Brisbane, who just wants to know what made you think of quote, stick a vert spinner on tracks. And that's way before scaling it up to 250 pads, just as a 30 pounder. How did you come up with that concept? Just put a vert on tracks. Well, the original, the first iteration of emulsifier actually did not have tracks. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but if you look on YouTube, um, back at the very first Motorama event that it competed at, it was just running your off-the-shelf Colson wheels on the back two-wheel drive, and um, you can see it. It drove quite poorly. <laughs> so, 
the problem was it just wasn't getting enough traction. There wasn't enough mass on the wheels. There wasn't enough downforce. There's too much mass at the front of the robot. So the treads kind of spawned from that. How do we solve that problem? We competed two years with wheels, once with Colson's, once with our own custom wheels that we had this fancy bolt-on tread, and there wasn't much improvement there. So, you know, we were literally on the brink of, I was getting ready to just go back to the drawing board entirely and make a completely different robot when I had this idea. I was like, well, hey, I mean, what if I just, instead of making four-wheel drive, you know, linking the wheels together with a belt, what if I just make the belt the tread? And I made a quick mock-up, drove it around in my garage, and it was just a night and day difference in how it handled. I was like, wow, this really onto something here. <laughs> so the, the biggest thing was getting the center of mass of the robot between, you know, the, the two main points of contact on the ground there. And the treads did that, and it, they look cool. They handle real well. And that's why I've had them on the robot ever since. That's so cool. Um, got a good question here from Juman Teeth. What types of opponents is Emulsifier designed to compete against? And what types of opponents are you most worried about? So I guess in the rock, paper, scissors, uh, where does Emulsifier land? I try to make Emulsifier so that... It, it can compete against the bulk of the designs that are out there. Um, the big disc has a lot more reach than most verts. So in a, in a way I don't have to kind of play the fork game with most robots. You know, I've got more reach. If they want to come at me with their forks, they're going to have to, they're going to have to stick them way up under there and face the big disc, the big tooths. <laughs> um, in that regard, you know, try not to play that game too much. And then, I, you know, the plow attachment I have for horizontals. Um, so really, I try to make it so that it it's effective against everything. But as you know, there's always exceptions. And I would say mine is probably Megatron, as many of us know. Um, Mulsifier has fought Megatron, I believe, four times now. And we've only gotten the win in one of those four matches but they have been close matches. So yeah, that's a good point. Jameson's just a really tough robot to strategize against. Um, he's an extremely good driver and it's, you know, driving a big vert is hard enough as it is, but trying to outdrive Jameson with a big vert is pretty much impossible. So you kind of have to drive a little unorthodox and hope that he makes a mistake. Um, but yeah, his design has been quite effective against me so far, but you know, we're working on strategy and attachments that might help even that playing field a little bit more against him in the future. Yeah, yeah. Now, um you're going to be fighting this coming weekend um at NHRL's November qualifier and um you know, Megatron's already waiting <laughs> at the uh at the finals for you. Um and uh, yeah, I, I know. I mean, that's going to be a, a big rematch, I guess, because I mean, like you faced JMO in uh, Motorama 2020, mm -hmm. uh, faced Jameson at um, the 2021 NHRL finals. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like 
It's it's an incredible robot. So if you can come up with a, a Megatron killing design, I am cannot wait to see it. So um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess uh, keep thinking on that because uh, there's a really good chance that uh, you know you may uh, you may face them again. Um, speaking of Golden Dumpster winners, uh, Copperhead team member Chad New, who runs the Golden Dumpster winning thirty pounder Yahoo at NHRL, wants to know Matt, who is your favorite thirty pound drum bot, and why is it Yahoo? Hmm. <laughs> so, what if it's marathon? <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Yahoo. I really do like Yahoo. It's a solid robot, and we we kind of went toe to toe in December and kicked each other's butts there for a while. <laughs> he got some good hits off on me. Luckily, I was able to squeak out of that one <laughs> with the win. But um, I'm pretty sure he's registered for this event in two weeks, so there's a good chance we could have to rematch. But yes, Yahoo, that was his follow. Yeah, Yahoo is a very solid robot, and you know, I that match could go either way. Anytime we get in the cage together, so that was uh, that was Chad's follow up question. He also writes uh, on a serious note: Have you made any improvements to Emulsifier for November NHRL? Asking for a friend. Dot dot dot. <laughs> Well, fortunately for Chad, I haven't had a whole lot of time to rebuild it. Emulsifier has basically been rebuilt every single event I've competed at up until this point. Um, after just getting back from BattleBots, there's not a whole lot of time. So the emulsifier that's coming in November will be in large part the same emulsifier that came out of the box against Megatron in December, uh, in the finals, with some fixed up frame members and, you know, making sure all the electronics are okay. But, um, unfortunately there's not a, a huge, uh, amount of upgrades for this November event, but should we make it to December, you can probably count on there being a fair amount of, uh, new attachments. Good, good. And I, I for one, will will watch for the uh, Yahoo emulsifier fight uh, at at NHRL. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, okay, we've got two good questions here from Deep Six team member and longtime NHRL judge Andrew Russell. Uh, he writes: Emulsifier has had some big design changes from 2018, including the move from wheels to tracks. I know we already talked about that, but he also asks: um, also an asymmetrical bar to a single tooth disc. What led to these changes and are there any major changes in the future or are you satisfied with the design? So um, I know we haven't talked about the the weapon going to the single tooth disc. Maybe we can talk about that. And are you basically happy with the, uh, the design as it is? Yeah. So Emulsifier used to run a, a big aluminum bar instead of a disc. It was an asymmetrical bar and it had uh, two hardened steel um, 4140 teeth on the end and uh, steel counterweight on the other end. And I never really had a chance to see that weapon's potential fully because um, the drivetrain was wheeled at the time. So I never really was able to engage the weapon the way I wanted, should have been able to. So I was never really to get able to get good bite with it, see what it could do. But on the same year that I ended up switching to treads, I also drew up this disc design, single tooth disc design. And had a couple of them made and decided my first match at Motorama in 2020 is like, I'm just going to run this disc, see what happens. Um, I think I was fighting a robot called Twister at the time. So I ran the disc and 
the match went extremely well. It was very destructive. I think poor Twister got uh, blown up into pieces. So I decided at that point, I'm going to keep running the disc. <laughs> and the next few matches were all very destructive. So I just never ended up going back to that bar. I still have it. I've never put it on since then. That's not to say I won't. I might bust it out at some point just to mix things up a little bit. But uh, the disc has been performing so well, I've just stuck with it. And I've been really happy with it. And same with the treads. I've been really happy with the way the treads have performed. And uh, at this point, I think nice. the major changes are probably behind us. Now it's kind of more refining the little things to make the robot the best it can be. Um, you know, maybe making some more attachments. Um, maybe at some point I'll make a, another weapon style just to mix it up a little bit. But overall, I'm generally happy with where the robot's at. And, you know, I'm sure other robots are going to evolve to to counter it as time goes on. So. You know, I'll have to change accordingly. But as of right now, I think the robot's in a pretty good state. Awesome. Awesome. Andrew has a follow-up question. Uh, he writes, Emulsifier was scaled up from 30 pounds to 250 pounds. Are there any plans to scale the bot down to the 12-pound or 3-pound classes as well? I've thought about it. Um, scaling it is is quite the challenge. Um I wish it was just as easy as clicking scale and SolidWorks <laughs> being done with it, but uh, it's basically designing a whole new robot from the ground up. And in, in some cases, it's it can be a little bit easier or a little bit more difficult, depending on how you look at it. Because you know, designing a new robot from the ground up, you you don't really have any constraints to work with. You're kind of starting from ground zero, whereas starting with uh, a design you already have and you're trying to scale it you kind of have some design constraints already to work with and you have to fit other new constraints within those constraints. So um, I don't know if I'll scale it down. Um, there's a chance, but right now I've just been super busy and fortunately I have a finite amount of time. So <laughs> the 30 and the 250 have taken most of that time. But if I do find the time, I wouldn't write it off. You know. There, there might be a 12 or a three pound emulsifier someday, but not in the near future, probably. Awesome. Got a good question here from Vivi Tribal, um, who has just a completely NHRL specific question. Uh, Vivi Tribal writes, assuming you qualify for December, which bot who you haven't faced before are you hoping to possibly fight? Or do you just want a Megatron rematch with Jameson? <laughs> If I have to fight Megatron again, hopefully it's just in the finals. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I fought in a lot of a lot of them, but I think there's a lot of new ones this year that are qualified too. Um, I don't know all of them. You know, I think there was a there was a multivert last year that that was pretty interesting. I think the Ribot guys made it. Was it uh, polyester? Polyester. Yep. They they were quite impressive and. Um, I, I would, that would be a fun match fighting a mini vert that could, that could go a lot of different ways. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see how they approached me and, and I'm still not quite sure how I would approach them, but that would, that would be a fun match. That's cool. Polyester has already qualified, so you will see them in December and hopefully you guys meet in the bracket. That'd be pretty cool. Um, 
Let's move on to questions about applying to BattleBots. Um, we've got a question here from Northeastern University Combat Robotics team member Alex Pick, who is running the Beetleweight Zane at NHRL this weekend. And uh, Alex writes, When I was looking into making a BattleBot this year, I was basically told there was no chance the show would take a new vertical spinner. Do you have any insight as to why Emulsifier was an exception this year? I wouldn't say there's no chance you'll be accepted. Um there's probably not as good of a chance just because the verts are pretty common right now. And um, as far as why emulsifier was accepted, um, I think there's a few reasons it one, it's, it's not a new design. It's, it's been around for about four years now. Um, it's proven itself in the lighter weight class. It's one most destructive. It's one events. It has a reputation going for it. Um, and I think, they probably saw that like, you know, this, this robot, you know, puts on a show. So that, that was probably part of it. Um, the other part of it is probably it helps to be on a team that already has a robot on BattleBots. Um, Shatter with uh, Adam's robot has been on BattleBots since 2018, I believe. So Having a an established robot on the show probably helps as well. Um, I know that's probably not very helpful to a, a new builder applying, but as far as getting on as a new builder or a new design, I would I would say definitely try to prove it out first in the lighter weight classes. Um, you see now with this new season of BattleBots, several designs that have been proven out at NHRL or Motorama um, are now making it to the big stage. So, uh, I would definitely start small and prove it out, get a reputation going for yourself. And, and then once you got that in place, you know, um, would be a good time to start thinking about applying. Awesome. So Alex, build a 30 pound Zane and then, uh, take all that fight footage, package it up and send it to uh, Greg and Trey. Um, we have a somewhat related question from Ian. Uh, Ian writes, after getting turned down in 2021, how did you improve your 2022 application to get accepted onto BattleBots? I feel like I've heard this before, that um, Emulsifier applied previously but was rejected for unknown reasons. I don't know why. The robot's amazing. Um, is that true? And did you change things up, I guess, in 2022? Yeah. Um, actually, Emulsifier was applied in 2020 as well and was actually accepted um, in 2020. But it was accepted too late. Um, We only, at the time it was accepted, we had, I think, less than five weeks to to basically design and build it. And we were hoping to get at least a a 10-week notice. So we had to tell the producers that we weren't going to be able to, to do it in that time frame. So then we reapplied again in 2021 and it was actually rejected and we weren't really sure why. I don't think we were ever given an exact reason why we, we kind of figured, you know, maybe there's just too many verts or they don't, you know, they want to see some other designs for that season. Um, but we still had confidence that we would eventually get on. So, you know, we just, we kept improving our application. We, we improved the aesthetics on it a lot. Um, and the branding on it a lot and resubmitted in 2022 and 
we were accepted, and this time they gave us enough time to actually build it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the trajectory of it all. That's cool. Um, moving on to questions around scaling up Emulsifier for BattleBots. So I guess rewinding the uh, the clock mm-hmm. here a couple of months to you know back when you were trying to scale it up. We're going to start off with a almost philosophical question, I guess, from Nick Volcano. Um, whenever Nick sends in questions, I always include them in the script because I love his name. Um, Nick Volcano asks, what compelled you to scale up Emulsifier to the 250-pound weight class? And like when I read that, I'm also kind of like, why BattleBots, I guess, you know? Um, you're doing great at the 30s. Why did you want to go to BattleBots? That's exactly why is because of the success it was having at the 30-pound weight class. Um if if it had just a mediocre record or or wasn't performing very well, I I wouldn't have even thought twice about applying to BattleBots with it. But, you know, we were kind of surprised with the success it was having and with how destructive it was, we, we really wanted to see what it could do at the 250-pound class. So that's kind of why we wanted to scale it up and bring it to BattleBots. Got it. Um. We've got a good question here from Ryder Leangle who writes, what was the hardest part about taking a known successful 30 and scaling it up into a heavyweight? Oh man, it's, it's quite challenging. Um, some people might think you can just scale up most of it and, and be done with it, but it's, it's quite the opposite, you know, um, in emulsifiers case, you know, I'm trying to maintain some critical outer dimensions of the robot that that are like important to how the robot functions. For example, the the width of the treads, the wheelbase, or the height of the disc off the ground, or the the top of the disc to the top of the treads, that exact distance um, when it's upside down, so that it can self right the same way the thirty pounder does. Um, all of those like outside critical outside dimensions we wanted to maintain so. Those were kind of some constraints we had going in to design in a 250. Okay, it has to be proportional to the 30 with all these critical dimensions. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, it also has to fit all the new electronics because the electronics in the 30 pounder obviously aren't going to work in the 250. So it has to have all new guts, basically. Um, has to come in at 250 pounds and it has to have these critical outside dimensions. They have to be proportional to the 30. And, you know, it just so worked out that, you know, a 250 pounder is, is what about eight, eight times bigger than a 30, a little bit more than that. So, you know, you're thinking eight times bigger, you know, if you double the length width and height of the robot, you know, two cubed is eight. So you're, about there when you double the robot in size in every direction. So emulsifier is about a two to one scale from the heavy to the featherweight. Uh, it's almost exactly two to one, just slightly less. And uh, proportionally, it is identical to the 30 on the outside, but it is very much a different robot in every other aspect. Um, it looks exactly the same, but it's, it is very different. I, um, I haven't really figured out the right time to say this, but um, Emulsifier was my most anticipated, is my most anticipated rookie of this season, just 
based on walking past the robot on day one when I landed the pits before we even fought. It is a perfect scale model replica of your featherweight. And like, it is stunning to see it on the table. Like I gasped. I was like, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous robot. Like this beautiful plow on it. Like the styling of emulsifier is just gorgeous. Like it's just, it, it pops, it really pops. And I think people are going to love watching it on BattleBots. So um, yeah, I, I would say, you know, of the dozen or so rookies, I mean, I am, I am very excited about people seeing emulsifier. Um, We've got so many more questions. I'm going to keep just uh, running through these. We've got a good uh, follow-up question from Andrew Russell. Do you have any tips for current featherweight builders who want to scale their designs for BattleBots level competition? So any other tips, stuff that you've learned uh, in the last couple of months? Um, you just really have to be mindful of, of what makes your 30-pounder successful and try to translate those things as best you can when scaling the robot. Um, it, like I said, again, in Emulsifier's case, there were certain physical dimensions that were critical that had to be maintained when scaling it. Um, and also, you know, electronics are important too, because you're not going to be able to run the same electronics. You can scale your weapon proportionally, but you, your electronics are completely different and reliability is huge in, in robot combat. So making sure you, you pick reliable um, electronics um, you battle harden everything and you prepare for the forces and, and, you know, in the heavyweight class, you know, the, the forces don't scale proportionally from, from a 30 pounder to, to a 250 pounder. So you have to be very mindful of that. Um, you know, everything has to be shock mounted, packed in foam, um, battle hardened, all that stuff, because, you know, the physics are a little bit play out a little bit differently at that scale. So um, that's probably the best advice I can give. Just try to carry over what makes your proven design successful and be mindful of the differences between the weight classes and, and try to account for it as best as you can. Awesome. Totally agree. Um, another question from Chad New who asks, what was the biggest difference between the 30 and the 250 as far as work slash maintenance? So like um, working on the pits with your featherweight, how is it different than working with a uh, with a heavyweight? I would say the biggest difference is just the sheer amount of time it takes to do things. Um, with the 30 pounder, you know, I can just grab it, throw it on its side, pop a frame member off in a couple minutes and put a new one on with, you know, with a 250 pounder. It'll take three of us. We got to carefully position it over and, you know, the same to do the same task could take four or five times as long. So everything just takes longer to do just because of the sheer scale of um, the robot. So that's probably the biggest difference because you know, most of the, the parts are similar. It's just the sheer size of everything. Uh, got a good question here from Horizon team member and BattleBot superfan Mary Catherine Carr. What are the challenges of having your team spread between the Midwest and the Northeast? Um, for us, it actually hasn't been too big of a hindrance because uh, Shatter and Adam they do most they do pretty much all of that work in New York. Um, we've got a couple other team members. Um, Eric lives close to Adam, but not directly near him, and I think Paul lives in. DC. So 
Uh, they collaborate a lot more on Shatter, and you know Adam leads that design mostly. And then I'm over here in Ohio, and I pretty much did 99.9% of the emulsifier's design and build myself. So there wasn't a need to travel um, back and forth to help each other. We we do collaborate online, and you know we'll. We'll review each other's designs and give input on each other's designs in that regard, but um, we've both been able to handle the builds um, in our own respective states. Okay, cool. Um, on to the design. We've got a good series of design-related questions here from Steve Dufort. He has two questions. He writes, I'm glad you got chosen for BattleBot 7. How big is the weapon? So the weapon on the heavyweight is. The total spinning mass weighs about 50 pounds, and the tip diameter is 24 inches. Nice. So it's it's probably larger than most vertical spinners in the field. Yeah. Um, good follow-up question here. What percentage of emulsifiers parts are also used on shatter? Oh, just, I would say just the motors and the... The motor controllers, um, we both run the castles. You know, Bots FC has been running castles in basically everything. So um, we both run the Castle 2028 uh, brushless motors, and we both are running the XLX2 speed controllers as well. But that's about the extent of it. Other than that, they're pretty much completely different. That's cool. Are you running brushless motors also on the 30, or is that brushed? No, that's uh, Castle Brushless as well. Um, everything, wow. even uh, I think uh, Knockoff White still runs Castle Brushless. So I don't think there's a non-Castle motor in any of our robots right now. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, Kyle Cuffrey writes, I love the treaded design. What have you done to combat some of the weaknesses in treaded designs from previous years? Um, well, traditionally when you think of treads, they're kind of bulky. They're kind of heavy, right? They're usually, it's usually a chain wrapped around some sprockets with a bunch of bolt-on plate attachments. Then you got bolt-on rubber feet to those. So there's a lot of parts there. It's heavy. It's, um, it's just a real heavy system. Um, what's unique about emulsifiers treads is it's not based off a, a roller chain. It's, it's actually just based off a timing belt um, that runs between two timing pulleys. Mm. So in that regard, it reduces the complexity a lot. There's no chain. There's there's not a ton of parts screwed together. Um, it's just a flexible timing belt. And it's also a lot lighter as well, whereas traditional tracks are quite heavy. So in that regard, uh, I think those improvements are... Um, very helpful in the robot combat realm and uh we're quite happy with it so yeah we've got a related question here from huge team member brendan Steele, aka business cat who runs the very successful 12 pounder ram plan at nhrl brendan asks where do you make slash source those tank treads asking for a friend dot 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 <laughs> i get asked this a lot um they're one of our sponsors, actually. It's a, a timing belt. They make special belts. The company is called FN Shepherd. 
um, can Google them, but they make a lot of uh, specialty belts and they can do a whole wide range of basically any type of timing belt with any type of backing you want. Um, they can custom mold stuff, custom cut stuff, pretty much anything you can dream of. Um, they can probably make, and they've been a huge partner of ours um, with Emulsifier, and we're very happy to have them on board. And uh, yeah, I would consider anyone thinking about doing something similar to to give them uh, a look. Good. Brendan, check out FN Shepherd. Okay, good. Um, BattleBot Superfan Alexander Archer has two design-related questions. First, how good of a driver are you? Are the treads being unprotected easy targets for other bots to attack? Uh, well, I I wouldn't consider myself a horrible driver. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, I guess you'll have to watch Emulsifier's videos and let me know <laughs> what you think because I've never really gotten feedback on it. But um, what was the second part of that question? I'm sorry, Luke. Uh, the treads being unprotected, are they easy targets for your opponents? Uh, well, they're definitely <laughs> unprotected. And we chose to do that intentionally because the way to, to protect the treads, um, in my opinion, wouldn't be worth the trade-off um, where, where it could be used elsewhere. Um, I think in the entire history of running the 30-pound emulsifier through several competitions, I think the only time I've ever lost a tread was against Megatron in those finals matches, <laughs> both those finals matches mm. um, in December. And I don't even think he got a direct hit on him. I think uh, something else had happened there. Um, the tread, the, the edge of the pulley got bent in or something and the tread rode up over it or something. Um, it's kind of like the tombstone strategy, you know, You've got exposed wheels, but you have a, a big weapon there. So as long as you can keep the front facing them, um, that's the plan. Obviously, you can make mistakes driving, but as long as you can keep the front facing them, you shouldn't have to worry about protecting the treads too much. Obviously, anything can happen, but so far, it hasn't been a huge problem for us. So we don't feel the need to protect the treads. Um, we want to use the weight elsewhere. It's also a very wide robot. Um, you know, like I think I would be concerned if it was a really narrow robot running treads. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's impossible to attack both sides of the robot at the same time. And, you know, and the wedge, uh, which we run most, sorry, the wedge, which we run most of the time actually, um, has ears on the ends of it that kind of fold back and protect treads as well. So, um, not only would you have to get completely around to the side, but you'd have to almost get around to the, the back corner to, to do anything. Mm. Uh, one last question here from Alexander Archer. What kinds of configurations does the emulsifier have? So it's got the trademark wedge that it typically runs. Um, we do have some fork configurations, even though we prefer not to run forks. Um, we did run a couple against Megatron in the December finals, if you've watched that. And that's just simply because you know, Megatron's got long forks of his own. And if we don't run up 
long forks of our own. He'll simply just get under us, lift us up into the air on us into the wall and smash us up. So our forks kind of mitigate that um, and at least help even it out a little bit. But I don't believe we've ever run forks against any other opponent other than Megatron. It's, I think it's always been the wedge. We typically lean that way unless we see a reason not to um, typically run that. There's a couple more uh, tread related questions here from Jesse Mullen. Uh, Jesse asks, what are the advantages and the disadvantages of running tracks when you're facing a field of wheels? Well, I don't know if there's necessarily that much of an advantage over like a four wheel drive robot, but uh, the tracks, they do help. It, it does give a little bit more contact area on the ground. Um, it, it increases that contact patch. But the treads also said they act as a belt, like in a standard four-wheel drive config, uh, where, a, where a belt would transfer the power from one wheel to the other. The treads are essentially doing that, and they're the, tre- you know, they're the contact point with the ground themselves. So. Um, you know, a lot of people might say, you know, you're still only contacting the ground in two spots, even though it's treads, but that's not necessarily true. Uh, the treads, they're tensioned. So there is some force against the ground between the two, uh, rollers there. Um, even though it's not nearly as much as directly under the wheels, uh, it's definitely more than zero. So, um, the treads, I think, definitely help a little bit in that regard. Um, if you've watched emulsifiers matches, uh, you've seen how it handles. Um, the treads work exceptionally well on a wood floor because it's usually tore up. So the treads help drive over the bumps and gouges in the floor uh, a lot better, I think, than wheels would. So they work out really well um, on the feather, for sure. Nice. Um, one more question here from Jesse about the treads. Do you think there are other bots that would also benefit from the track conversion? I mean, can you think of any specifically, you know, if you want to see, uh, I don't know, Kraken (laughs) on treads or shatter on treads or something like that? It's hard to say. Um, it really is. I, we really weren't sure how treads were going to perform on a steel floor, um, before we went into battle bots. Um, and I can't really probably comment too much on how that went right now, obviously. But um, there was some uncertainty there because the steel floors have a lot of dust. And the treads do collect a lot of dust. The material we have on the back of the treads is very sticky. And once they collect dust, they obviously don't grab as well. So um, there was some concern there. Obviously, with the steel floor, you can add magnets and get more downforce and kind of counter that a little bit, but, um, you know, I think, I guess any robot in general, that's just having traction issues or maneuverability issues might consider it, but you, you might want to also consider just four wheel drive. I mean, that works just as well, probably in most cases, Mm. but, um, I kind of laid out the reasons why we went to tread with emulsifier and I think robots that are finding themselves in a similar situation might benefit from it. 
Thankfully, we have just one more question about locomotion, and this comes from Richard Sum, who writes, when are we going to see a combination of shatter and emulsifier with omnidirectional tracks? (laughs) Uh, Adam and I were just joking about something like this the other day. (laughs) So, yeah, we, uh, we've thought about things like this, to be honest with you. And, you know, even though this is probably a, a more of a satire question, but the complexity of something like this would probably be too prohibitive, but you know, you never know, you know, we might, we might redesign one of the robots or, or make a new robot that has some sort of hybrid between the two or, or some other type of non-wheeled drivetrain um, in the future. I guess bots FC is kind of has a reputation now for not running standard wheels. So um, yeah, we might come up with something in the future. Cool. Uh, simple question here from Luke Wes Dainty, who wants to know, do you have a self writer? Uh, yeah, it's the disc. <laughs> mm. If you've seen the fights with the featherweight, you'll see that, the disc usually pushes the robot back over no problem. Um, but also, even if the disc for some reason can't get the robot back over, um, the geometry of the robot allows for you to simply um, you know, throw it in forward, gun it in reverse, and it'll just kick itself right back over. Nice. Cool. Um, and then we're going to end this interview with a series of weird questions from the fans, um, starting off with Matt Lantry, who runs Fallout at NHRL. He has got a good weird question. Don't answer if this is under your NDA, but will StickBot show up on BattleBots? <laughs> I guess you'll have to tune in to find out. <laughs> good. All right. We got a fundamental question here from Harry Adams. Uh, Coke or Pepsi? Neither. I'm not a soda guy. Oh, good. All right. What's your drink of choice? Oh, geez. Honestly, I just, I prefer like juice, something like that. I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big <laughs> pop drinker. I haven't drank pop for a long time. Good. And just kind of gotten away from it. So good, good, good. Um, fellow bots FC team member, Mary Cimenti has a good question. She writes, ask him about atomic carp. <laughs> atomic carp. Wow. That goes way back. Um, so kind of referring back to my story about how Adam and I met on the internet, um, I believe his handle on AOL at the time was was Adam, something Adam, like A-T-O-M, and mine was Carp 104, something along those lines. So when we, <laughs> when we went to that first row of games event together, we were trying to figure out what our team name would be. So we just kind of combined the two and called it atomic carp. <laughs> so, nice. Uh, that's what our team name was for that event. Nice. Nice. And listen, if the bots FC thing just uh, doesn't work out, you can always go back to atomic carp. I think it's a great name. Yeah, sure. We thought about making some, some throwback shirts or something. Oh yeah. There you uh, go. You might see those. Good. Um, <clears throat> Bloodsport team member, Curtis Honeycutt has a good question. Uh, when you put brakes on robots with treads, are those called treadlocks? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Good. Um, and then he has a serious question. Uh, which 3, 12, or 30-pound robot do you think should scale up to 250 pounds next? 
Oh, wow. Hmm. You know, I I mentioned earlier uh, wanting to fight polyester. I think, I think, mm. I think a robot like that, uh, a multi-bot vert, um, has the potential to do really well in BattleBots. So, um, seeing them scale up that design, or I think Dominic, they've got a multi-vert as well. Um, mm. I'd like to see one of those scaled up to that that class yeah yeah in december i mean i know you're going to be running around and very busy but i am really interested in wake and bake um if you haven't seen them they are a uh, a multi in the three pound weight class and they're doing something really interesting because they're running a traditional like tanky wedge bot with a with a vert and the wedge bot is fantastically driven and it's designed to pin its opponent while the uh the other bot comes in and and does damage and i am really interested in seeing something like that on BattleBots. um you know just kind of like really coordinated action i mean like whenever i yeah. think of of like kind of kinetic energy multis um on BattleBots, i think of things like you know gemini or something like that but that's almost like it's two independent 120 pound robots you know kind of roaming around inside of the box Versus this, like Wake and Bake really is designed to be driven together as a team um, because they do very different things. Um, So yeah, definitely watch out for their performance in in December for sure. Um, Speaking of, I guess, scaling up or smaller robots, we got a good uh, related hypothetical question from Gareth Jones. Which Norwalk team at BattleBot 7 would you love to face in the BattleBox? So like uh, for reference, those I would say like Ripperoni, Horizon, Starchild, and Shredderbro are kind of like the other scaled up like yeah. versions of, of smaller robots. Um, hmm. There, it would, it would be interesting to, Ripperoni's scary, um, but it would also be interesting to, to fight shredded bro being scaled all the way up from the beetle weight class. Uh, yeah, that would be an interesting fight just to see kind of how two robots scaled from two completely different weight classes match up when they're in the same weight class. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Shredded just totally skipped the 30. I keep trying to talk Evan into <laughs> building a feather. Um, so who knows? Who knows? He went from the, the 10 times scale to the, to the hundred times. <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, all right, Mary Catherine Carr has some more good thought-provoking questions. Uh, first off, does Emulsifier have a little mascot like Splice? And if not, will we see one someday? It does not yet. Um, we might come up with something eventually. <laughs> but as of right now, Emulsifier does not have a mascot. Nice, nice. Uh, will we ever see a Matt Boris man bun? Uh, 100% no. <laughs> good good um and then finally did you get a special visit from the builder brontosaurus and what did he bring <laughs> you since i assume he's the builder version of santa you know i didn't i must i guess i was on the naughty list this year because <laughs> <laughs> he never paid me a visit <laughs> uh i've got some weird questions here from jesse mullen uh to emulsify means quote to combine two elements that don't mix easily what two elements does Emulsifier mix on its opponents? Ah, oh, well, I would just say it 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 just mixes your whole robot up. <laughs> it just mixes all the parts together. So good. Um, that's kind of what Emulsify is to 
to combine or mix into one things that don't normally mix. So <laughs> that, uh, I guess that's my answer. We've got a good culinary follow-up from Jesse. What would emulsifier mix better, a vinaigrette or a hollandaise sauce? Hmm. I'm going to say neither. Let's go with ice cream. Nice. Okay, good. This is a great segue to our final question, our final weird question, and our final question question of the interview. NHRL mascot Sparky has a hard-hitting ice cream-related question. Dear Matt Boris, team captain of Emulsifier, Sparky would like to know which you would like the best, ice cream, Ford trucks, or the work of Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw? <laughs> That's quite the uh, <laughs> quite the list there. <laughs> uh, well, I drive a Ford, but I'm, I'm still going to go with ice cream there. Good. Good answer. Good. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Uh, I am so excited about seeing Emulsifier this weekend in Norwalk, and I am excited about seeing Emulsifier hopefully in December in Norwalk, and very excited about seeing it in January on BattleBots. So thank you so much, Matt, and uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. Great. Thank you, Luke. It was a pleasure to be here. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week we're traveling to Germany where researchers have won a $5 million X Prize for developing a humanoid robot capable of being taken over by a human operator. The robot and its operator completed 10 complicated tasks in under 6 minutes, such as flipping a switch and removing a door using a power drill. The idea is to eventually deploy a fleet of autonomous humanoid robots to complete tasks, with a small number of human operators remotely taking over for them when they get stuck. So yeah, I mean, really, I see no no growth here. It's just robots being operated by humans to do small, simple tasks like turning on light switches, and we're going to leave it there. Right. With just enough AI... <laughs> To barely be able to, to 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 functionally use a power drill uh, or assault rifle, and <laughs> then if they fall over using said power drill assault rifle, uh, they can have someone dial in to uh, to you know reset the screw, uh, shoot civilians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, Chris, I don't know what you're worried about. I mean, people, you know, they're going to deploy hundreds of these robots, you know, that a very small team of specialists can operate, you know, to stack boxes or bodies, whatever it is, you know. Um, <laughs> it's very normal, very cool, very legal and very ethical. I I can't wait for Elon Musk's uh, next amount announcement that Tesla is going to be totally rolling out full time self driving cars. But you know, once in a while, if you get stuck, they have to have uh, someone dial in from uh, from Albuquerque to help you navigate outside of the five and below parking lot, um, or <laughs> they're just going to pop in when you're on the four hundred five doing like ninety five cutting lanes. In the middle of it. it it doesn't make sense i love it i guess it's kind of i guess it's kind of cool like if there was robots that could do things in areas that are so outrageously dangerous that you would want 
like someone there with, uh, you know, uh, some human insight, but uh, who can't be there in person. The uh, the article that I read about this uh, said that, you know, the idea is that you would pair one human operator with a with one humanoid robot. The robot would learn all of the operator's actions to kind of complete this task. And then you could roll out two robots for every operator. And every single time that the human took over, it would serve as training data for the AI until eventually you have one human operator for like 50 or 100 robots. The kind of dystopian future, of course, is that, you know, we just put people onto these, you know, telepresence machines just installed on toilets for, I guess, eight hours a day. And, um, you know, they're now one person is running an entire Amazon warehouse, you know, and um, getting paid minimum wage, you know, just to help. Can you imagine the irony of you're, you're, you're a human who's sitting on a toilet for eight hours a day operating uh, 12 <laughs> robots that are installing toilets? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. You know, like, You've got you've got the feeding tube, you know, you've got the toilet. Uh, it's great. It's perfect. Everything's fine. Oh, is that what that was? Oh, man. <laughs> well, one thing I will say is that this appears to bring us one step closer to the reality, which is my favorite movie of all time, Pacific Rim. Mm. Yeah, because now uh, maybe we can all have our own Jaegers. Luke, have you seen Pacific Rim? Uh, I have not. I'm familiar with the concept, uh, though. It's gi- giant mechs, is that right? Fighting in the water? Yeah, fighting uh, giant uh, kaiju sea monsters. Oh! So if that's what this technology technology ends up being used for, I am down for it. I support it. I think it's probably more like, you know, robotic pizza delivery drivers and stuff. Just tiny mundane applications just designed to, uh, you know, increase the profit margins of the uh, the owners, oh, the, the owner class, you know. Yeah. And, you know, further depress wages by, uh, you know, commoditizing all service work into uh, just something that uh, one person can do sitting on a toilet with a fading tube. So um, make sure that you're getting yourselves out there technically trained to operate robots while on a toilet so that you're ready for the future in uh, a decade from now. <laughs> there you go. My, my suggestion would be to hit up PF Chang's as much as possible. <laughs> get, get used to spending eight hours on a toilet and you're going to be ready to go. And that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode and we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then folks. Bye. Bye! There once was a bot who's from the sea. The name of the bot was the Kraken of Teed. The lights went up, the buzzer sounds, although my scaly girl go. Soon may the spinner man come to knock her teeth right from her gums. One day when the fighting is done, she'll take her teeth and go. She'd not been two weeks from shore When out did come her metal jaw The captain called all hands and swore He'd take that spinner in tow <gasps> Soon may the spinner man come To knock her teeth right from her gums One day when the fighting is done She'll take